0: Morning, all. plus you can hear me, all right? I'm I'm uh, get the blessing of the second microphone that was left over, so at least you can hear, hopefully, well today. Um, as you can see, Wally is gone for a day. To, he's involved in a child dedication, so he asked me to uh, come and speak this morning on the topic of work and mission, part of the series that he has been doing. Um, Kath and I. And and the children, our children, have some experience of life on the mission field because we were in Africa for around about 12 years, uh, from 2000 to 2012 when we came back. So, um, on that basis, I think Wally says, well, you'd have some experience on that, maybe you can come and share. Uh, But I think his intention as well was to share in a sense, not just in terms of work on the mission field, but work as believers in terms of mission. So, that's what I want to try and hopefully cover this morning um i I do have to say that as i've spoken and uh, learned about uh, the experience and life experience of others in the church here though there are many other people in this congregation that could rightly come up and share as well if you if you spend time getting to know people you'll see that there's a lot of people that are involved in a sense in mission within the the society and the community that we live so by no means do i have the um the corner on the market there are a lot of people in our congregation that are involved in various mission activities that, as I said, would qualify them to come and share as well. But nonetheless, you've got me this morning. As I was thinking about uh, what I could share about, the, um, I think I mentioned in January, for those that were here uh, when I spoke on the second week of January, that I tend to work from the text. And so I was thinking about this passage or this um, phrase that is there in the passage this morning, treasure in jars of clay. Um, And it was interesting because two weeks ago, not more than two weeks ago, Annalie, as she was um, leading up the front, just towards the end of the service, in some ways it it was sort of a disparate thing. It wasn't, in a sense, connected to a flow of thought. But she just referred to the fact that we are, we have, and that we are jars of clay, we have treasure in jars of clay. Um, And and I think I've been here, as I said, for about four or five years. I can't recall any other time that someone has made a reference now it's a, it's a biblical verse or a biblical phrase so maybe others have but I just haven't heard it it was interesting that as I was thinking about what to share um, in that in the last few weeks that out of in a sense out of the blue Anna Lee referred to this treasure in jars of clay so I trust I heard right from the spirit and uh, that's what we're going to have a bit of a look at this morning so we're going to look at this first, but um, being a fairly ambitious guy, um, I'm going to try and do the 18 verses. I think if, for those of you who were here, as I said, the, the second uh, week of January, we it was actually 17 verses and we didn't get through it. So um, actually it's probably a fairly high bar, but we'll see how we go um, this morning. <clears throat> now at the first reading, as Kath read it out this morning, it may seem to you that Paul has a, a fairly... Um, fairly wide-ranging and unconnected set of um, comments that he makes here and remember that I'm trying to bring it together and, and hold it under this rubric of uh, work and mission but it may therefore be worthwhile just spend a, a couple of minutes to in a sense provide context because I would say context is the key in all the um, in the passages as we look at them from scripture <clears throat> so in some ways we probably need to take a little bit of a step back and see how this chapter or this uh, passage of text from Paul's letter to the Corinthians fits into um, the, his relationship with the Corinthians and therefore what it says to them and also therefore what it means for us this morning as well. Now, I'm assuming you have some familiarity with the, the Corinthian correspondence as I refer to it because, in fact, Second uh, Corinthians is only one of um, a whole correspondence trail that Paul had with the Corinthian church Uh, we know that there were at least four letters although we actually have two in the New Testament we have of course first and second Corinthians but there was a what he refers to in first Corinthians as a previous letter then he we have the the epistle itself first Corinthians we know from second Corinthians that in between first and second Corinthians he wrote what is referred to as the severe letter And um, this, in a sense, this this, uh, correspondence between Paul and the Corinthian church trails the relationship that he had with them. And in between the writing of 1st and 2nd Corinthians, there was a pretty low point in his relationship with that church. Um, The church had been sort of, in a sense, led astray by certain false apostles and some false teachers that had influenced the church during that time and Paul had to write this severe letter essentially to bring them into line with what he believed of course to be the truth of the gospel that they were straying from now it's interesting that he wrote this letter and as he says he refers to it as a severe letter there's a bit of a there's a few clues in the epistle of second Corinthians as to what was contained in that letter what seems amazing to me is that it actually worked Paul wrote this rather harsh letter to the To the Corinthian church not out of vindictiveness or out of spite but because he truly believed that they were straying and he wanted to bring them back to the truth of the gospel and it actually worked they responded to that um of course they could have gone two ways it could have been well who do you think you are Paul and off they went on their own way but that praise God didn't happen and he they essentially came back to to the, in a sense, to the core of the gospel as Paul understood it and then by the time he gets to write 2 Corinthians there's a much better relationship and he can write a fairly relaxed letter but there's still things that he wants to remind them of, there's still things that he thinks they need to know and so that's where we get to when we get to this passage in in 2 Corinthians. Paul writes to them about things because they knew the history, I mean they've been involved with him but he writes some things here that they already knew but he believed they needed to know again maybe they as they were listening as whoever was reading out the uh, the epistle once it came to the church they might have rolled their eyes a few times well here goes paul again saying the things that we already know but paul believed they were important and they needed to hear them again and maybe that's something that we can also pick up this morning as well so in chapter 3 paul says to the corinthians you corinthians are a testimony that the the gospel works. The very fact that they had responded to his severe letter and they had come back into relationship. To Paul was a testimony that the gospel actually works. It has an effect. And so he says to them, you are a testimony of the gospel, that it has power and that it is effective. Just like you and I here today are a living testimony that the gospel works. We, we if it wasn't for the fact that we are believers and we've come together with a common faith in Jesus Christ we wouldn't be here this morning but here we are we are a testimony a living testimony that the gospel works <clears throat> um, I was involved in pastoral ministry for a short time I do remember at one stage when I was doing some career counseling with a uh, Wycliffe uh, psychologist sort of a career counselor guy up at uh, kangaroo ground Kath and I went to see See him, and uh, we were making decisions about going overseas in ministry. And I was involved in some pastoral ministry. And he wrote one day to Kath or, or rang Kath actually, and says, because oh, I'd done some sort of personality test, whatever it was. And um, he rang Kath and says, "Is Gerald still in ministry?" And she said, "Yes." He said, "Get him out of it." So that um, it didn't take too long, and I did. And that's where we were preparing to go to go overseas. But I did learn in my pastoral ministry that the very fact that the church survives at all. It's not because of our abilities or skills. It's simply by the grace of God that we hold together. And so Paul says that it's not our power that uh, is effective in in, in what happened with the Corinthians. He says it is the grace of God and it is in the gospel. It is through the gospel, he says, that God's grace is revealed through Jesus Christ. And this grace is sufficient for every situation. But even more amazing, what he says to the Corinthians, and of course, therefore, by implication to us, is that not only is the, is, is the gospel a means of grace, but that we have been made ministers. God has made the Corinthians, Paul says, and God has therefore, as we hear this, so as a word to ourselves as well, God has made us ministers of this new covenant. And you find that in chapter three, verse six that we have a ministry in the Spirit, a ministry of the Spirit, and Paul says this is a glorious ministry. Maybe you think, well, so much, you know, so-so. But Paul says that this ministry is a glorious ministry. When we were preparing to go overseas, um, you know, Mission to be, and some of you that are involved in this as well will know quite well, there's, there's lots of preparation and training that goes on. And, and so uh, I, I went to Bible College. We also did a number of um, short courses with uh, missions interlink, etc. Kath and I used to, to joke that we need a course to debrief us from the courses that we did. Um, but um, as we were doing this, um, let me just point again there... Um, what was I going to say oh, yes the we I was trying to find a um in a sense a theme or or some way that would hold together what we were going to be doing and so one of the the uh, an idea or a theme I suppose some sort of um covering idea that would help us in our ministry and one of the ones that I settled on or thought had a lot of merit was the idea of being an ambassador for Christ that uh, we were going on an overseas posting and in fact if you if you look at the diplomatic corps, you'll know that a lot of the terms that are used in terms of foreign diplomacy um, have to do copy in a sense the church ministry that we are ambassadors for christ and that ambassadors within the governmental structures also are often appointed to a mission And so, to me, it was a a good model to work from because, yes, we are ambassadors. We were going overseas to be involved in that ministry. We were representatives of, not in in terms of uh, the diplomatic corps, not in terms of representatives of a government or even of a kingdom, but the kingdom. We were ambassadors for the kingdom of God. And I think it was a helpful um, understanding And that, in a sense, is what Paul is sort of referring to as well. We are ministers of this glorious ministry. And then he has some therefores. In chapter 3, verse 12, it's therefore, because we are ministers of this glorious gospel, we are bold. We can be bold. In chapter 4, verse 1, the very first passage that uh, Kath read this morning, therefore, we do not lose heart. We are bold. And we do not lose heart. And so we come to chapter 4. Now, I understand that was a bit of an extended introduction and maybe it was too long. But I hope that it gives us some context as we look at a couple of sections of this chapter this morning. And there is, very conveniently, because a good sermon has three parts, there are three parts to this particular chapter. There is the fact that we have a ministry to proclaim the light of the gospel. Then there's the section where Paul says that we have this treasure in earthen vessels. And then there's the final section where Paul says we have an eternal glory. And if from the time that we have, I can cover a little bit of those just quickly. Um, then I think we'll have done well this morning. So, the first one is we have a ministry to proclaim the light of the gospel. Now, in some sense, of course, this is the easiest. If I'm trying to make sure that I'm faithful to Wally's request that we talk about work and mission, this has got to be it, isn't it? We have a ministry to proclaim the light of the gospel. And this is, this is our work of mission. This is, the, this, this is the, if any section comes into what Wally would try and, and get us to listen to or understand this morning, in terms of the series of God and work, then this has got to be it. And you'll notice, though, as, as Kath read it out that uh, first part, that it seems to be that he's, he goes off into what I would call a polemic. He has a bit of a go at these false teachers um, that are, have had previously influenced the church in the wrong way. Because, you see... One of the things that they were saying, these, these uh, uh, alternative apostles or these super apostles as they are sometimes referred to in the, cor- in the correspondence and, and Paul's being a bit facetious there, is that they were saying, look, Paul's not a real apostle, I man, he doesn't seem to be very effective in what he is doing. Um, and so, these, these false apostles were sort of distorting the gospel a little bit to make it more palatable for people. And that still goes on today, by the way. Uh, if you've been around church circles enough, you'll know that there is this idea of easy believism. Look, become a Christian, everything becomes okay, it's all great, it's a, it's a lovely ride and then you get to go to heaven as well. Or one of the other alternatives these days is the health and wealth gospel. Become a Christian, you'll become wealthy and healthy, everything's going to be fine and you'll have a great time. These are essentially false gospels. They are not, this is the point Paul makes, they are not true gospels. And so he says, look, we're not, we, don't, we don't dress up the gospel, we present it plainly and honestly as we ought to. But his point is that we proclaim it because we have received so much Ourselves, we, and that is you and I as well, have received the gospel. You've got to remember that Paul previously was blind to the gospel. In fact, he was an antagonist. He was one who was going around persecuting the Christians. And it took what we referred to in Bible college circles as the D.R.E. the Damascus Road experience for Paul to be turned around in his understanding. It was that that encounter with the living Christ Jesus that totally transformed his experience and he became from a persecutor. He becomes one of the great defenders of the faith. One of my primary motivations when I started thinking about and Kath and I getting involved in mission was that I, I had the opportunity. I, came from a, I come out of a charismatic background and of course the charismatic background has a, a great strength in the spirit. Trouble is, it's not so good in the word base. And uh, one of the opportunities I had was to go to Bible college for a while. And in a sense, they connect with the tradition, the evangelical tradition of a good foundation in the Word. And for me, it was a fantastic experience. It was something that enlightened and opened my eyes. And and, uh, if you talk about some of the best periods of your life, well, that, I have to say, was one of the best times of my life, the opportunity to take some time aside, a number of years, to simply spend looking at the Scriptures. And I thought because I had gained so much from it that this would be something that I could do in terms of sharing the gospel with others Um, and, of course, in terms of teaching theology. So, look, there's a lot of teachers in Australia. It was pretty well served, so I thought, well, I will go overseas and do it somewhere else where there's not so much um, opportunity for theological education and uh, where it's not so easy to get to. You don't have too many people putting their hands up. And so that was one of the, the bases for where we ended up in Africa. But it's because I had received so much, it's because we have received so much from the gospel that it becomes the basis for us not to hold it into within ourselves, but to share it out and to allow others to experience the experience of the grace of the gospel as well. Paul says, look, not all are going to respond. It doesn't mean that when we proclaim the gospel, when we share it in the myriad of different ways that we do, in a missionary experience, both internationally and locally, that people will always come. We know that they don't. That's just a clear given. And Paul makes allusions to that as well, you know, that not everybody will respond. The gospel is, in a sense, hidden from some because of what the enemy does. But we who have received the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, have a responsibility to, to shine the light and you notice that paul gets pretty well carried away I think i'm getting carried away wait till paul you see in verses four and verse six paul he he what he does what i call, refer to as piles up the genitives you know when he says the gospel of the glory of the gospel of christ or the you know the um what is it uh verse four um they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of christ and he just piles up these of Statements uh, in the Greek. And in verse 6 as well, he repeats it again. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. That we have this responsibility to shine this light of the gospel that others may see it as well. I've got a friend who actually has gone to glory now. He's a pastor, or was a pastor in Indonesia. And uh, in my early Christian experience I made a number of trips over to Indonesia and Southeast Asia to get an experience of an international scene in a sense and, and what the what God is doing in the kingdom in other places beside Australia and um, I remember once someone asked him why do you preach the gospel here in in, in, uh, in the place you were this was um, in the north of Indonesia and it wasn't an easy situation he was doing it in difficult circumstances you can imagine that it wasn't the majority religion Uh, there so it was there was a sense there was an element of oppression and persecution that went on for the church there but someone asked him why do you preach the gospel here and I remember his answer one of the things he said was because my people suffer so much in this life I proclaim the gospel so that they may not have to suffer in eternity also and and that's a, a motivation for us too that we have received so much from the gospel and and i think i mentioned last time the danger for us who have been christians many years is we begin to lose a sense of that just how much the gospel has transformed our own lives where would we be if we were not believers at this point in time that we i think need to recapture that sense of just what the gospel has done in our own lives and therefore what the opportunities are for others as well and so Paul comes on to this little section. This is the one that I think, again, is, if, this is the, if there's the takeaway that you can remember, then this is the one. We have treasure in earthen vessels. I could do a, a little test and ask you if you remember what the phrase was when I preached last uh, in January. And to be honest, I had to go and look it up myself. So, <laughs> so I'm not going to ask you and do it, but it was Colossians chapter one where it says, live a life worthy. But here Paul says we have treasure in earthen vessels and of course the contrast, contrast here is between the vessel and the contents. It of course is a metaphor but um, it's an interesting one. Yes, we may be flawed, we may be weak, we may be fragile but we have a great treasure within um, Heard the phrase, of course, and maybe you've heard it too, that as believers sometimes we are considered to be cracked pots. Or crackpots, if you want to shorten it down a little bit. But actually, it's, it actually is, in a sense, it's true. Uh, mind you, Paul uses this metaphor, and it's probably not unknown to him in the ancient world, because in Roman triumphal processions, when they came back from a military campaign, The the Roman army would uh, have collected loot from their campaigns and the gold and silver that was there. And what they used to do was collect all this loot and put it into earthen vessels. And those were the vessels that they carried back in triumphal procession. So there were some precedents in the ancient world that Paul may be referring to. Um, When I did some theological, or not not theological, ancient history studies up at Macquarie University a number of years ago. Um, I was in the, in the ancient history department. Uh, that's where I did my studies. And um, there were some other ancient uh, people doing study as well, obviously. And uh, there was a, a branch of the ancient history knowledge called ostraca, uh, which is simply a very fancy word for, cracked, uh, for um, ceramic pots, basically. And so um, one of the things about ceramic and ceramic pots is that they last and so in the ancient world of course uh, you know you'd have a, an ancient pot or you'd have a, a ceramic pot it would get broken they'd throw it out the back or whatever or they'd use it for road base or whatever and then of course it gets uh, covered up by strata and then you know a couple of thousand years along history ancient um ancient professors or students come along and dig it up and then start doing their phds on it um and believe me that's what happens so um Anyway, it's it's good because it, at least that's something to do some study on. That it lasts, you know. That's the thing about ceramic pots; they they survive, and you can you know scrape them off and work out what people had for dinner, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There's a lot of study you can do. Anyway, there was a guy who gave a talk, and I remember a few of these talks on ostraca. And uh, one of them, I remember he talked about uh, crack, uh, about uh, ceramic pots that have pointed bottoms because that's the way they used to make them. Um, it's not very practical for standing up, but the, it, it was easier in terms of manufacture. I've always tried to work out what the metaphor for the, or the application of the Christian life is with pointed bottoms, but I've never worked it out yet, so <laughs> maybe one day I'll come up with it. But as far as it goes, it is a good metaphor. Yes, we are from the earth. Yes, we are fragile. We can be broken, and we can often have flaws. Um, that our weaknesses shouldn't prevent the treasure from being seen. In Khartoum, where we lived for a number of years, a first, first uh, our first term of service. Whoops! If you want to put it that way, um, was in Khartoum, capital city of Sudan, and it was. Uh, uh, fairly hot. The average temperature was around about 45 plus um, during the day. We, and if, um, if you were the elite, you, of course you could have air conditioners. Um, we, we were in the category of poor missionaries, so we weren't. But we, had, we at least had swamp what they called swamp coolers, you know, the evaporative coolers. And being in such a very, very dry and hot climate, they worked fairly well. So it would bring it down to a cool 36 inside for most of the year, you know. But anyway... Um, as you, as you walked around the streets, which were very... It was essentially at the edge of the desert, the cartoon, Um, The, the desert's just, just outside there. that As you walked around through the dusty side streets, um, community-minded citizens would put out a set of water jars outside their home because the, most of the homes were... There were big brick walls you know, with broken glass across the top because everyone trusted each other. And so what they would... But what they would do, some people would put out these, a set of water jars Uh, under some shade some hessian shade and they would just be there as a community service so people wandering through these side streets getting hot and thirsty in the middle of the day could go over to these water jars and they could take the scoop open the top up take the scoop out and have a a draft of clear and fairly cool water and you know they these things weren't perfect they leaked there was moss growing up underneath them they had to be refilled all the time and tended to etc but they were a great source of blessings for many people as they wandered through those hot and dry, dusty streets. We should be like that. A blessing to many. Yes, there's some maintenance that needs to be done for us, but we can be a great blessing to many. Now, why is Paul saying this? Well, you've got to remember that, as I said, a lot of what is going on here is based on the history of Paul and the Corinthian church, what what their, their past history has been. Um, because as I mentioned he had some opposition from some of the Corinthians but being led astray by these false teachers these false apostles Um, and not as I just mentioned earlier they were saying Paul's not a very good apostle look at all the difficulties he gets into a he doesn't seem to have a great return on his investment he's not a you know there's not many hundreds and hundreds of people coming to uh, coming to Christ as a result of his ministry of course he did say as I mentioned but you Corinthians are a testament to the fact that my ministry is effective but also they had this triumphalist as i mentioned view of the christian life um, where you know become a christian everything goes fine and paul of course he simply said that's just simply not the way it is did paul's troubles and if you have a look through the new testament you'll see that he had a fair bit of trouble did paul's troubles annul his effectiveness as a minister of the gospel no because what's important, Paul says, is not the vessel, but the treasure that is within. His response to the claims of being a fairly poor apostle what is, was that his endurance, despite the troubles that he experienced in his ministry, showed the legitimacy of his ministry. Because his ability to endure came not from himself, but from the treasure within. In our weaknesses, in our suffering for some in our endurance and in our persecution for some christ's grace is revealed if you have a look at a little later on in chapter uh, chapter 9 or chapter 12 should i say of second corinthians paul goes into some of the difficulties that he had and and you know the response where you know, remember that thorn in the in the in the flesh problem paul had and what was god's response to him my grace is sufficient Paul, here in chapter 4, verse 10, says we carry in our body the death of Jesus. That is, we share in his sufferings, but we also share in his life. It's not just one side, there are two sides to it. Yes, we may experience suffering, we may share in the sufferings, in the death of Jesus, but we also share in his life. Colossians chapter 1 verse 27 Christ in you the hope of glory so Paul says in verse 12 so death is at work in us but life in you in other words while Paul suffered for the gospel and he did there's no doubt about it the ones who benefited were the Corinthians Paul suffered they benefited because Paul had to make some efforts in order for them to to initially hear about the glory of the gospel of Christ and to respond. Without his efforts, well, maybe someone else would have come along. We don't know, of course. The point is that Paul did make the effort and they did hear and they responded as a result. And in the end, as I said, the Corinthians received the blessing. But isn't that the case for us also? How did we, how did you, if you, if you reflect back, if I get you to do that this morning how did you come to faith who had to do something so that we you and I could hear the gospel it might have been your parents it might have been a friend it might have been someone that you just came into contact with in a sense out of the blue in my case it was a a young at the time I became a Christian well I suppose he was fairly young at the time a, a Singaporean evangelist Yes, I could have heard the gospel from a friend here in Australia. I could have heard it from a, a pastor, or a, but, but I didn't. I heard it from someone who came from overseas and specifically came to share the gospel here in Australia and, you know, in an evangelistic campaign. And that's where I responded. Who had to do something that, so that we could hear the gospel? And by implication, what do we need to do so that others will hear the gospel? But if if Paul says, but if we have believed, then we also need to speak, as verse 13 indicates. We also need to be proclaimers of the gospel because we also have this treasure within. Now, in verse 16, Paul repeats what he said in verse 1. Therefore, we do not lose heart. And he goes on to say, we have an eternal glory ahead. And I'll finish just here too, shortly shortly the light he says our light and momentary troubles will be far outweighed by the glory the eternal glory that awaits us our light and momentary troubles what does paul mean by light and momentary troubles is he talking about missing the bus or problems because some food in our fridge has passed its use by date or there are no toilet rolls in the shops What would he say to Gladys Staines, whose missionary husband and their two little children were killed by a mob in India a number of years ago? Or to the families of the three missionaries killed in Turkey some years ago? What would Paul say to Dennis Medina and his children? Or this story that I read when I was in Africa. On the 12th of December, 1920, Mary Elizabeth was born into the Euler family an American missionary family at Malut, Sudan. Now, Malut is a little village in the uh, what is now the northern part of the Republic of Southern Sudan and that is the town that we went to between and lived in between, uh, well, the end of 2009, really 2010 to 2012, the last three years that we we're overseas. It's a very small village right along the Nile River the campus that we went uh, to go and sort of in a sense reestablish after the civil war had destroyed it was um, in a fairly interesting position right along the banks of the mighty Nile River and you could see the the uh, change of the seasons in a sense of the Nile bringing things down and the Traffic that would go up and down it, but the, the college campus was right on the on the banks of the Nile when we got there, we had to do a fair bit of restoration because the army had been occupying it for thirty years beforehand, and so there were live shells around and the buildings were fairly dilapidated. We had to build our own house before we could actually get going and, and establish the um, the campus again and the college the students came down from Khartoum to reestablish and uh, get the the Bible college going again <clears throat> and um so that was the, the village or the campus that we, we lived in for three years. And this is where this little girl, Mary Elizabeth, was born to this American missionary family many years before. In a family diary her mother wrote on the 13th of March 1921, when we, we started home on furlough to America with our three children, David, John and Mary. We had not travelled many miles on the White Nile steamer when it became evident that our our curly, black-haired baby girl was desperately ill. Mary died at midnight on the 16th of March and was buried early the next morning at Rank, which is a town a little bit down the river from Malut. She was three and a half months old. The next year, as we were returning on another white Nile steamer, John took sick, and in less than 10 hours, he too was gone on the 11th of November 1922. John lived three and a half years. My little boy is buried under a big shady tree and look where Mary was born. And um, on the campus, at the end of the campus, there was some, uh, some buildings um, well, that the students, as I said, were, had to restore and use. One of them was a canteen. And it was adjacent to this big old... Look, I'm no agriculturalist, so I don't know what type of tree it particularly was, but it was, I think one of these fig trees... Because and it had been that it was a very old tree because it had dropped a lot of roots, spread out and dropped roots back down into the ground so you could walk amongst these and it was a big shady tree and a colony of bats were there, fruit bats used to live in it and I always used to, as I, after I had read this, sort of refer and look back at, those, at that tree and, and think that this little boy was buried there somewhere from missionary service many years prior. What about the many Sudanese Christians that were of interest to us, obviously, who lost family, homes, cattle, everything during the Civil War and mostly persecuted because of their faith in Christ? No, they are not light and momentary troubles. But Paul, of course, himself also knew hardship. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 24 to 28, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one, three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move, I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, from my own countrymen, from Gentiles in the city, in the country, in danger at sea and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst, and I've often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Yes, our hardships may be real, but he says, lighten moment troubles, because we set our eyes on that eternal glory that awaits you. But set your eyes, Paul says, on that eternal glory that awaits you. And in comparison they are but light and momentary troubles. I'm I'd mentioned just before I'm no agriculturalist uh, and most of us I suppose here are city slickers maybe some of you come from the country and know a little bit better than I do but um, I wonder if you know how farmers plough their fields now these days of course they just get into the cabin of the air-conditioned tractor and hit the GPS all right that makes it a lot easier but that's not the way it used to be. They used to get into their, uh, into their tractor, onto the seat of the tractor and they had to plough the fields. Now, they didn't look down. They don't, if it's, if it's still those that still do it that way. They don't look down immediately in front of the tractor and try and keep it straight. They don't turn around and look backwards and try and work out where they've been and therefore where they're going to go. They set their eyes on a point far into the horizon. Maybe it's a tree, maybe it's some point but they fix their eyes on that point and then they just drive straight for that point. That's how you plough a field. Paul says we need to set our eyes on Christ. (coughs) Set your eyes on Christ, the eternal glory that awaits you. How much are you looking for that eternal glory? I know I am. Now, just to finish off, I know I didn't use the word work very often this morning. Um, And I'll have to apologize myself to Wally for that. But we are all missionaries because we are ministers of the gospel and our work, if you put it that way, is a glorious task. Paul doesn't use the word work in a sense, he uses the word ministry, but essentially it's the same thing that we are doing, which is mission, which is God's work. And as I said at the beginning, he has invited us to partake of that work with him. Do you know that you are a minister of the gospel? We are all missionaries in our work. Our glorious task is to show others the light of life, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know that weak as you may be or you may feel, we have a great treasure within. Don't keep it to yourself. Let it be a blessing to others. Are you looking forward to that eternal glory? Set your eyes on Christ and you will be able to endure and to reach the goal. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this word. Thank you for the encouragement that Paul has given the Corinthians and that by implication he gives us as well. As we work, as we labour with God, because we have been given a great blessing of an invitation to partake in the glorious ministry of the gospel of the grace of Christ. We thank you for that. I pray too, Lord, that as we do, we would realise that the power does not lie within us or of ourselves, but it's because we have a great treasure within. And that we would appreciate that treasure, that we would do what we can to, in a sense, expose it to the world, to to reveal it to the world in the ministries and in the lives that we have each day. Maybe in a myriad of small ways, maybe in great ways as well. But that our motivation is not something that is in a sense temporal. We are ambassadors of the kingdom of Christ and that as we do so, we have a great motivation which is the eternal glory that awaits us and I pray that that may be an encouragement to us too as we minister in the work of God and mission In Jesus Christ we pray, amen.